I was in the fourth grade, and as other Sundays, my mom and dad woke me up and got me ready and took me to church. I went into my class taught by Sister Westerfield. Now, we just were taught to, you know, that's the way we talked in church as brothers and sisters and Sister Westerfield. And I don't know if it was because I was in the fourth grade that, that made Sister Westerfield seem like she was 75 or... or I don't know, but you, you remember how that was in church? They, they probably weren't nearly that old, uh, but there's just something about it. But I want to tell you, she loved us, we loved her, and she started the class taking out those object lessons that were now going to be put on the flannel board. Because, you know, the flannel board, that, that, man, we were innovative. When we broke out the flannel boards, we had moved to the highest level of current technology. And it was the way to, you know, you could just like open the scripture or, or you could do flannel board. And so she was like the master and it was incredible. And as other Sundays, she began to put things on that flannel board and then allow us the opportunity to respond as to what it is we saw her building in picture form that would be right out of scripture. And so we saw this shepherd and we're talking about it must be Jesus or it must be David Jesus is always a safe answer in Sunday school, by, by the way. Uh, it's like the little boys in Sunday school and the teacher was describing, you know, this little brown furry thing that has a long tail and says, now what am I talking about? And this little boy says, uh, it must be Jesus, but it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel to me. Uh, but, you know, you just think that Jesus is the safe answer when you're in Sunday school. But this was a shepherd, and it was a happy-looking shepherd. And then, man, when she put up a flock of sheep... Uh, we're starting to get the idea that we're going to have a story, and maybe it is David, and, and now she, she has a few more images that complete this incredible picture, and then she tells us to read along with her. When Sister Westerfield said, read with her, you read with her. Thus saith the Lord, you read with her. And so I want you to read with me. I'm going to read it just like we read it that day, and... I want you to hear these words, and may they anchor in our heart. Here they are. Read with me, please, out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. I can tell you as a little boy, I was stirred even as, as I watched her. And I can remember she, she was a saint. She walked with God. She had a relationship with Jesus. There wasn't anything religious about her. She knew this one that she taught about, and she would read just six verses like we have, and halfway through, she would have to pause, and we would let Sister Westerfield, is what we call it, she just had to get happy a little bit uh, because it meant something to her, and tears would come down her face. While I was reading, I'm just remembering her face and her sincerity and how personal she took this word. It was amazing, and it was powerful, and when she got through reading... She said, now, get out of your seats and push your seats over to the side of the room. And so we did. And while we're pushing the seats to the side of the room and we turned back to look at her, she had grabbed a shepherd's staff. 
She said, now get on all fours. And there we are, a room full of fourth graders on our hands and knees. And now we have moved from the flannel board to illustrated sermon. And it is coming alive in Sunday school. Thank God for people like that. And so as, we are, as we're following her around, she is beginning to expand on this psalm. We were on our hands and knees to the point that it started to be uncomfortable. Now, you know, I can tell you, at my age, if I got on my hands and knees like 10 seconds, I'm needing therapy. I sit down, icy hot, injections, because it's painful. But as a kid, you've got more lifespan than that when you're on your hands and knees. But we were there so long that truly some of us were beginning to say, when will we get back in our seats? Like, this is uncomfortable. And as we reached that place, she then pointed back to the flannel board where there was a shepherd. And it was as though he was sitting on the hillside, looking out over burgeoning fields, lush gardens of grass, just growing in abundance. And then there were these sheep, amenable and yielding and following, and everything was awesome. Matter of fact, what came off the story picture was that things could not be any better. And Sister Westerfield, in that convicting way, said to us, while we're on the floor in pain, being taught Psalm 23, and then comparing our current situation and feelings with what we saw on the flannel board, she said, you've got to hear me today. If you don't understand that this psalm is one of raw reality of life, and it teaches you about a God who provides in the raw reality of life, then you're going to miss the God of Psalm 23, and you will miss the God that you will need to know and experience when life becomes painful along the way. She said, David was a warrior king. And we said, can we get up now? And because, you know, when you get under the anointing, you kind of forget those things. I forget every Sunday about how long you've endured. So she let us get up. Kent, don't say anything to that. She let us get up and get in our seats. And now she said to us, David was a warrior king. You've got to understand that he was in the vex of battle. He was in one of the toughest times of his life. And what came out of his soul in one of the toughest times was an experience of God and a revelation of God of one who has a provision for those realities of life. It began to impact me, and I, I, I remember it to this day, because Psalm 23 is often one of tranquility and life. You know, he's our shepherd, and he leads us, and we fear no evil. And even in the valley, he's there, and he's got this way of feeding us and protecting us, and it's all good, and it's wonderful. And yet we are taught here that David is a warrior king. And uh, she said, you know, to a bunch of kids from Arkansas, she said, before you get home, You'll, you'll see fields and pastures, and don't you misunderstand this. When he says he'll lead us into green pastures, it's not what you're seeing right now. The hillside upon which David was was rough and rocky and steep and desert-like, and, and it was difficult going from place to place, and ultimately the shepherd would find a patch, would find a pasture, some, some nourishment, but it was in the rugged reality of a journey the shepherd would help these sheep get to that place. 
So she's teaching this, and it's coming alive. The word is being seated in our hearts. And she had this way of talking about when life shakes you up, it's God that's going to keep you steady. And as I reflect on that, what she was saying to us is that God would, through the process, listen to that, the process of the Holy Spirit, the work of the shepherd, he helps us to keep our composure. One of the funniest experiences that Kelly and I have had it was back when we were pastoring in Memphis and a family in our church invited us to their home. They lived on several acres of land and they had these goats. And they were called fainting goats. And you could like make this sound and they would like wig out, faint, and fall over. And it was like, wow, when they get up, let's do that again. Now I know that's wicked of us. Because I'm not a, I can't imagine what the goat was going through. Ah! And then... Like the goat recovers, regains its composure, it's back up. Ah, ah, boom, back down on the ground again. It's like fainting goats. And I I don't know if there's any kind of sheep that do this, but I just want to tell you when it comes to us being likened as sheep following God, sometimes our heart can be faint. Sometimes our spirit can lose that, that resolve and resolution and constitution, that composure. And so what we're learning here is that God is teaching us about a process of the Holy Spirit where we can regain or keep that composure. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because there is an enemy, there's an adversary, and he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So be poised, be alert, keep your composure. Don't be drawn away emotionally by every little thing that comes along. That is the process of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Good Shepherd in our life. Now we're starting to get an idea that Psalm 23 is one that teaches us to trust, to have faith and focus and receptivity to the work of a God who says there will be times where you can fear, reasons to fear, but if you'll experience my presence and my fresh touch, King James says he'll anoint your head with oil, the fresh ministry of God, the process of the Holy Spirit in the raw reality of life. You can overcome a spirit of fear. To where you fear no evil. Even in Shadow Valley. David understood that as, as like the sun. Like closes a curtain as it moves in, in its setting over a mountain. So in his life he had experienced that reality. And God is ministering to him about how he's there. And there's a rod and a staff. And there's comfort and presence and fresh power and nourishment. That is the psalm. Hebrews 11. So turning there, as I was thinking about this valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he's with us and because he's faithful, he's going to bring us through. I was in Hampton, Virginia, and I was returning to an airport to return to Tulsa, and there was this beautiful body of water, and I'm just enjoying a sunny day, beautiful water, checking it out, driving along, and I enter one of those tunnels that would take us beneath the body of water, and as soon as we went into the tunnel, I mean pitch dark. You go from a bright, sunny day to, like, pitch dark, and the automatic lights are coming on, and it's just quite abrupt, quite the change. That's what David is talking about. That is a way to describe those times where life seems to be going rather well, and then we enter that valley. The good news is I came out on the other side, and the sun was still shining, The fact that I was in the tunnel did not change the fact that the sun was was shining. It's just that I was in a situation 
for a time period where I couldn't experience it in its fullness. But because I came out on the other side, I could reflect and even learn from the tunnel. As you and I hold to God, to the shepherd of our souls, the process of the Holy Spirit, we come through those valleys. And because He's with us, we come through. And we're even able to look back and reflect on what we learn about God, learn about the Holy Spirit at work in our lives in those times. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you read Scripture, you want to look for certain words. What's obvious here? Let's make an observation that the word faith stands out, the word substance and the word hope. And as you're reading that and making those observations, you you want to say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to get an application here. And one thing you may want to do along the way is just reverse it. Instead of saying faith, substance, hope, Let's reverse it and see hope, substance, and faith. If we work backwards, we realize that we have hope. The reason we have hope is because there's a substance to our Christianity. It's not our concept or religion. Can you say amen? Our speaker at the men's breakfast yesterday said, religion is for those who need nothing. Relationship is for those who understand the raw realities of life. So our hope has a substance, and the substance is formed because we have faith, not faith in ourselves or in our government or in our culture or in our abilities or in our education. Our faith, first and foremost, finds its anchor in God, in the character and nature of God. And because God is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, I have a substance to my faith, and it produces hope, and so now we get an idea of what the writer of Hebrews is saying, because hope in Hebrew means accord, and hope in the Greek, it means confidence, and it's showing us this stability in the picture of the cord, this perspective, this attitude in the word confidence, and it's not now that I have hope, I can hold on to my hope with confidence, no, the picture here is because your faith is in God and because Jesus is real and Christianity is real and there's a substance to who we are as people of faith, then we have hope. Jesus is hope. And so as we face the uncertainty of the future, he's the one who is steady. He is the one who is unchangeable. So I'm not trying to hold on to hope as we go into tomorrow. Hope is holding me. Please get that perspective because our faith is in God. There is a substance to who we are as the people of God. And the attitude is one of hope that when times get so uncertain, we're not trying to hold on. We're being held unmovable yet always abounding because it's God who is faithful. The life is turning the world of David upside down in Psalm 23. But God has a response to every challenge of his life. I will lead you, God says. I will comfort you, God says. I will be with you. I will follow you. And one day I will move you to the home that I have prepared for you. I'm thankful today that our hope is holding us. Praise the name of our great shepherd. And I don't know what's going to unfold in situations of life. But I know who is in control. That's a good word for us in this American culture right now. Because something's going to build our perspective up tomorrow. 
I say we allow the Holy Spirit to build that perspective. Yes, this verse reminds you that hope is holding you because that hope is built by a substance that comes from your faith, that comes because your faith is in God. It does shape perspective. Let me give us a challenge today. It's Ephesians 3.20. Look at these words of Paul. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Do you believe that? I want you to think about it because see the right answer in church like in Sunday school with Sister Westerfield is yes. But it sounds a lot like a squirrel. When I, when I look at the circumstances of life, maybe that's for someone else. Maybe it's for another time. See, there are two ways to look at the same situation. As you look at that verse, is that attitude of hope saying, I'm going to resource you to hold to that. Or is there pessimism? Is it possible in a congregation to have two different perspectives of the same verse or the same situation? Back in Numbers 13, the order of the leader to the followers was, go get me a report from the land. And so 12 spies, they go out and they evaluate get report on that which was promised by God. They, they, it's like they got to go to see what their future held. And they're going to come back and report on the promised future. And so when they get back, the first two, Joshua and Caleb, they're saying things like this. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. The grapes are as big as bowling balls. We've never seen harvests like this. We're about to move into houses we didn't build. We're going to be working vineyards that we did not plant. We are going to move into blessing that can be defined as nothing other than the favor of God. The future has never been so bright. And then this this other church member interrupts and says, I would like to talk for a moment because I have a whole different perspective. And so that person gets the floor. And that person says, obviously you didn't see that the Canaanites are there. Hello, did you hear me? Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites. And did you not see the sons of Anak? And at that point, we're talking about fainting goats. Why? Because, because they knew who the sons of Anak were. They were giants. And maybe they did Jebusites, Amorites, mosquito bites, and boom, they fall over, they recover, they stand up, and the sons of Anak are there. Boom, they fall over again. Finally, they get back up and Joshua says, okay, I want to take the floor again. God has promised. God has said he's with us. He goes before us. God says it's ours. God says we can do it. 
He used words like, we are well able. We need to go for it. And then the other spies said, you be quiet for a few more moments. And they continue to talk. And then these other spies say this, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're like grasshoppers in our sight. As they looked at the future and its challenges, they then got this perspective of themselves and they saw that they weren't equal to the challenge. And then, this is very interesting, they even talked about how other people saw them. Out of their perspective of themselves, they're now projecting on themselves how they think the Canaanites have never said anything about them being grasshoppers. The Jebusites, matter of fact, anything you hear about other nations, it's that they were always saying, isn't their God the God who parted the Red Sea? Isn't their God the God who set them free out of Egypt? Their victory, if, as you study their journey, was the fear in the enemy's heart of what they had heard of God before God's people ever arrived. But notice, when we get the wrong perspective, we see ourselves in a wrong way, and then we project how other people see us. Now, how can we have any energy for tomorrow? How can we have any passion to possess the future? We're called to be people of destiny and moving forward and, and taking ground and storming the gates of hell. And there's nothing more than Satan would like to do right now than to, to cause us to just be faint in our passion for God and in our perspective of a great God. I would like to remind us that God, in spite of all you've heard this week, is still a great God and he's in control. And this is a time to express faith. We're going to be okay. Now notice how this kind of thinking works, this negative thinking. It led these, these ten spies to influence the entire nation to look at all the reasons why they shouldn't possess the land. You had two guys saying, here are the reasons why. Anytime you get the wrong perspective, you can know because you'll be looking at the reasons why not versus the reasons you should. You'll then exaggerate, and because of the way you see it, you exaggerate how they see you. You will underestimate who you are in God, the grasshopper complex. And then you will prefer the known versus the unknown. And in their case, they would rather have Egypt be reminded of all that they went through in Egypt. They're now preferring Egypt over the promised land, a land that flowed with milk and honey, a land of provision, resource, and future, yet with adversity, they still would rather have the known versus the unknown. You can see that they're not thinking about a God who's able, who through his mighty power that works in us as his people can accomplish infinitely, 
infinitely more than we could ask or think. And I mean, we can think up some, some noble ideas, some pretty big ideas. And yet God is saying, at your best and at your loftiest dream, I can think at a level so higher. I can accomplish so much more, infinitely more, than you can even think or ask. There's, there's no concept of the Ephesians 3.20 God in the heart of the ten spies, Joshua and Caleb. So is it possible for the same group to have two perspectives of the same situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where are you? There are two ways. What is your greatest challenge right now? Is there a marital challenge? A challenge within your family, your finances? What is your greatest challenge? And as you look at that challenge, it's, it's going to be part of your future. You've got a responsibility to it. You're going to have to respond. What's your perspective? Is it Ephesians 3.20? Do you sense hope holding you? There's a substance to your life. You have a composure about you. The raw reality of life has hit your life. But through the process of the Holy Spirit, you are receiving the provision of the great and good shepherd for those realities. And so as you look at the future, though it's challenging, like Joshua and Caleb who talked of the giants, they said, yes, there are giants in the land that God's promised to give us victory, and they made this statement, they are bread to us. That's an amazing perspective. They're real, they're adverse, but God's going to turn our adversity into nutrition. A piece of cake. Perspective. I don't think that's to defuse the reality of giants, but I think it's to remind us, are we going to look at the giants? Or are we going to look at God? Are we going to look at the God of Ephesians 3.20 or the God of this world? Are we going to look at present realities of economy and family and marriage and all of these things that are really breaking apart in our society? And are we going to shrink back and lose hope and faint as a congregation? And, and it's going to be all we can do to survive and hold the fort till Jesus comes? Or are we going to rise up in an Ephesians 3.20 kind of perspective and say, in spite of what is happening around us, we walk not by sight, we are walking by faith. Our faith is in God. There's a substance to our Christianity. We are held by hope. Bring on tomorrow because tomorrow is going to be a great day because God is still in control of tomorrow. Praise God. Which one? Embrace that one. Whatever the situation, look at it. Ask yourself. Sister Westerfield now has us in our seats. She now has developed this idea of a warrior. And she gave us her best effort at where she thought David was when he wrote it. There are different perspectives about that. Some think he was walking around in the valley of Elah. That's the valley where he walked out to confront the giant who had come out for 40 days and challenged Israel. No one was willing to fight. Everybody was looking at the giant. 
David shows up and he doesn't talk about the giant. He talks about his God and he talks about the reward for the person who kills the giant. That's what he talks about. And you can always tell what a person is thinking by what they say. Israel's looking at themselves in comparison with the giant. David comes and his focus is on God and he's saying, I'll fight. Because who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine? And he wasn't talking about anatomy. He was talking about the fact that he wasn't in covenant with God, that God was on his side and not the Philistine's side, and that it didn't matter if the odds seemed stacked against him. God was in control. And now he can go back to his history and say, you know what, the same God who gave me the lion and the bear will be faithful to give this giant over into my hands. Saul said, I'm going to give you the chance. Saul says, you can even have my armor. He didn't need to try that, which he had not tried before. He went out, and he had a fresh idea of using a sling. He could stand at a distance because Goliath had the edge when it came to reach. He could stand at a distance with the weapon God gave him to release a projectile for that battle. It brought the giant to his face. He falls down. Then David kills Goliath with Goliath's sword. It's quite incredible. You see, you get nourished when you go through adversity. If you study what happened with Goliath's sword, it got put in the temple. It was kind of like a trophy. Look what God has done. And David is out in battle one day, and David has no weapons. And you know what he does? He goes to the priest. And he says, I need the sword. The priest says, I'll be right back. See, when you go through adversity with your faith in God, you not only are nourished, they are bred to us, but you get some new weapons. Watch this, because at the next level, there's going to be a new devil. And the price we are paying right now in current adversity, yet trust in God, is the purchase price of the new weapon to fight the new devil at the next level. Praise God. I pray that you just receive that in your heart. This is all for a purpose. Do you feel a stirring? Come on, let's praise him this morning. We aren't on some some losing side. Our God is for us. Our God is with us. Praise God. Every once in a while, Sister Westerfield would do one of those. And I understand it now. At the fourth grade, I hadn't had to overcome a lot. But at 45, I now appreciate that saint who was talking out of Psalm 23 and the raw realities in the life of David. And she was also talking out of the raw realities of her own life. And she was one who could tell you about the valley and the God who will bring you through the valley. And she couldn't get through six verses without getting happy in the Lord because she knew in whom she had believed. And she was persuaded that he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Praise God. So she said, I don't know that he wrote the psalm when he was revisiting the valley of Elah. She said, I rather think he was once again on his journey, had ducked away in a cave. It was either when his own son was trying to hunt him down and kill him or Saul. And while he was in that cave, out of his heart comes Psalm 23. And if you sum it all up by looking at each provision of God in the Hebrew, it begins to form a picture And it shows you that there is a God who is a refuge and a rock. And she looked at us. 
and her mouth began to quiver. For those of you who have been raised in a Pentecostal church, I'll just tell you that at that point, she'd give us a few sentences in English, and then she'd speak in tongues for a little while. And you knew it was authentic and powerful. And she said, now, as you grow up, and you are confronted by the raw realities of life, you will know that Psalm 23 was not written by a man on vacation, but a man in the vex of battle. And he learned in that situation that his God was a rock. And a refuge. So he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. When I'm famished spiritually and emotionally, he prepares a table. He doesn't have to remove me from the reality of life because that's not practical and that's not possible. Right in the midst, in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. With his rod and his staff, he comforts me. You know about that comfort? The comfort of the Holy Spirit? And then here's the fresh touch. He anoints my head with oil. That's the fresh presence of God. That's the manifest presence. That's I've been battling and I know God's with me because the word says he's with me. But there are those times where God makes me to know that he's present. And every time we're in the manifest presence of God, there's just a fresh power, a fresh strength, a fresh perspective. I anoints my head with oil. As I move on in life, oh, I sense it. Goodness and mercy, they're right there. And they kind of mix together. I don't know when one or the other's helping. I just know my help is coming from the Lord. Like a runner who's run all he can, and then he's picked back up by fellow runners. Goodness and mercy never leave us. They're right there. And they will be there until the trumpet of the Lord sounds. And this great shepherd becomes the coming king and receives us to himself. And then, now David, watch. David's getting a revelation way beyond current circumstance. He's getting a revelation of the omega. He's getting a revelation of not only the author but the finisher. He's letting his perspective say, there's a God for right here and right now and everything is okay. Bring on tomorrow. And at the same time he's saying, for tomorrow's a plenty." Even until we are in the house of the Lord. And we're no longer journeying or on a pilgrimage or in a race. We're home. Oh, we're home in the presence of a king. In the presence of our redeemer. In the presence of our God. And in the midst of battle, he receives this from God. And in the midst of our battle, we receive this from God. And we stand up in our most holy faith, strengthened by might, by the Holy Ghost in the inner man. And we say, our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that which we could even ask or think. Come on and praise the great and awesome God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give him your best. Give him your highest. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Praise your name. Bless your name. Glory to your name.